Thank you so much. It's a real joy to carry on where we left off last evening. I'm going to be looking to Romans. As I promised last night, we're looking to Romans and chapter 6. If you want to look there, that's where we'll be. Uh, in Romans, uh, we have saw last evening how God is happy to declare us righteous because of our identification with Jesus that we're seen in him. We're accepted in him. We reign in life because we're no longer under law, we're under grace, and we're declared righteous by God. And uh, as we wound up last evening, I raised the question, well, if that's the case, if God's happy to call us righteous, hey, shall we carry on sinning then? Because it seems like an easy deal. Well, the Bible asked that very question, and we're going to look at that. I'm going to read with you from Romans chapter 6, I think maybe the first 14 verses of Romans 6, again from this infallible translation uh, that I used last evening. Okay, so Romans and chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, We've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self or old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. Father, we thank you for your mighty word. We thank you for your presence with us. Holy Spirit, we invite you, please, to own the scriptures, own them in our hearts. Give us a spirit of revelation in our hearts. We pray the word may be mixed with faith so that it profits us, Lord. It does us good, that we comprehend it, we grasp it, we live in the good of it. Lord, have your way, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we start with this question, shall we, shall we carry on sinning then? Uh, not, you don't often get people who kind of get together, shall we carry on sinning? It, it doesn't often happen. Uh, but to be honest, there's a kind of flip side to that question. It's more like this Okay, so he's called me righteous, but how do I actually stop sinning? How do I actually overcome 
the temptation to sin? How do I get to be a changed person? How do I become a holy man, a holy woman? How does that happen to me? And this is a question that's going to be answered as we look at Romans 6, one of the most important chapters in the New Testament. It's telling us how God actually sets people free. How do I stop sinning? And actually, the story of what happened to the people of Israel is a good backup to what we're going to talk about. In fact, Romans 6 is a little bit about an exodus, an exit, a way out from where we used to be. So if you imagine the Israelites... God said, I'm going to judge this land. I'm going to destroy the firstborn of every family in Egypt. But where I see the blood, the Passover blood on the doorposts, I will pass over that family. And I'm imagining the Israelites were full of terror as they heard screams going up from household after household. But God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. It's important for us to know that the blood is for God to see. I don't think it was for an Israelite to kind of open the door and look at the blood and think, doesn't do much for me. God said, when I see the blood, because God, only God knows the value of the blood of the lamb. Only he knows its massive value. And he's happy to say that will take your place. And the blood of the lamb covered every household where the Hebrews put it up. And, And in that moment, hey, our sins are forgiven. Our sins have been passed over. What an incredible night that was. They had to constantly remember that Passover night. Sins forgiven, sins forgiven. It's all behind us. Death has happened. We got through. In the mercy of God, the lamb died. We walk free. But I say we walk free. But what we find next in the story is they're beginning to walk free. And then suddenly they encounter the Red Sea. Suddenly they can't get any further. Suddenly they're trapped. And as they're trapped in the land, they see the army coming after them. They see Pharaoh's army. I guess some of them might have said, oh, there's my master. There's my master. He's coming and I'm still, I may be forgiven, but I'm still trapped. I think I felt that as a young Christian. I know I'm forgiven, but I feel I'm still trapped. I feel like here comes that slave owner. He's still got me. I'm not free. But then we know the story. But suddenly the Red Sea opened up and they went down into, as it were, the Red Sea, into a kind of death. It says they were baptized into Moses in the sea. They went down into this, this baptism, into this death, came up the other side. Pharaoh's army tried to pursue and do the same thing, but they couldn't get through. They were taken out. And now these people are not only forgiven, they're free. Not only forgiven, they're no longer slaves. And this is what this chapter is about. It's about being freed from the power of sin that keeps on stalking after people and holding them down. This chapter is about total freedom. Not only acceptance, righteousness is a gift, but actual freedom. And somebody would ask, well, how do you live the holy life? And we saw last night that legalism or law-keeping can't do it. See, some people would say, well, you need the rules, you need the law, that's what will keep you holy. But we read, didn't we, in Galatians, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have come by the law. But it doesn't impart any life. It can't help me. It can tell me God's requirement, but it can't help me. So how am I going to get free? This chapter is going to tell us. Now, some people would say, all you need to do is let go and let God. 
That's a kind of popular modern phrase that's been made up. You won't find it in the Bible, but it's pretty popular. And if that's all it was, Paul could have said that, couldn't he? He said, so what do we do now? Well, just let go and let God. And he could have finished the letter, couldn't he? So love Paul, goodbye. So, so just let go and let God. But it doesn't say that. It's not a mystery. It's quite plain what he says. First, he says there's some things you need to know. Then he says some things you need to reckon. Then there's some things we need to do. And that's what we're going to look at in this session. Some things we need to know. Remember what Jesus said? You will know the truth, and the truth will free you. You will know the truth. The truth will free you. So we don't want to be careless about truth. It's got power to free us. And this chapter shows us how we can step free. So first of all, some things we need to know. Notice what Paul says in verse 3. Do you not know? Right, that's his first answer. Shall we carry on sinning? Do you not know? Here's some things we need to know. First of all, all of us, something has happened to all of us. So let me just underline that straight away. This is something I'm going to talk about now that's happened to all of us. It's about freedom from the power of sin, and it affects all of us. I just need to underline that. I'm not going to say, okay, so there's certain Christians, you know, there's people in Adam, they're just sinners. Then there's people in Jesus, they're kind of Christians. And then there's a kind of elite group. And they have actually overcome the power of sin. Wow, they're the special ones. And tonight I want to move you from middle ground into the elite group. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what it says. It says all of us, right? So what I'm describing here is about all of us, all of us. We should know the truth. The truth will set all of us free. Do you not know all of us is something that is true for every Christian, not for some special Christians. There's not an elite group. Also, it's all in the past tense. This is not something that's future. It's not something I'm saying, come on tonight, we're going to move into this. This is the next step for you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's some truth that sometimes we've failed to grasp. Truth that's enough to free us. And it's about what happened to Jesus and how that affects us. The truth about what happened to Jesus will set us free. And so the verse says, don't you know, all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his Death. We've been buried with him through baptism into death. God has dealt with our old man by putting us to death in Christ. Now we talked a bit about that last night, but here we're talking about the power of sin that can grip us. So the Bible talks about sins, plural, specific sins, but it also talks about a principle, the power of sin, singular, something that kind of grips the human race. And Jesus has died to the power of sin, and we were in him. It's not something that's going to happen. It's not something that ought to happen. It's not an experience we're reaching after. It's truth that has already taken place. And we need to know it, that my old man was crucified with him. I wonder if we know that. I wonder if I said here today, how many people here have died? I wonder how many would put our hands up. Yeah, yeah, it says this, we know it. We know our old man was crucified with him. Yeah. That old sinful tendency was crucified. That old man that kept messing my life up has died. You may say, well, my old man doesn't seem very dead. It seems like 
really, I still feel that, that pull of that old man. Now, this is where we need to listen with faith and see what God says is true is true. Because the Bible is telling us something dramatic happened when Jesus died on the cross. My old man died with him. Who I was, my old tendency, the power of evil that gripped me, died with him on the cross. We need to believe that, understand it, simply because it says so. Because it's there in the Word of God, and God declares it to be truth. You can't have a bigger truth than the truth God says. If God says, my old man was crucified with him, you can't say, oh, well, listen, God, I know a bigger truth than you know. No, you don't. God says, this is what happened. You were caught up with Christ. You were united with him. When he died, you died with him. So I struggle with that. Well, let me just ask you something. I wonder how many of us here believe that two men were crucified with Christ. One on the right and one on the left. Let's have a show of hands. How many people believe that? Two men were crucified with Christ. One on the right, one on the left. Most of the people here believe that, all right? So why do you believe that two men were crucified with him? Because it says so in the Bible. Right? We haven't got any outside proof. It says so in the Bible. Two men were crucified with him. The Bible also says your old man, your old self was crucified with him. We have the same reason for believing it. It's declared to be the truth. My old self was crucified. My old uh, enslaved self, it died. God has done an amazing thing. We have died with Christ on the cross. That's what the Bible teaches. Two men were crucified with Christ. I believe it, says so. It says we were crucified with him. Hallelujah. That's our escape. That's our being set free. That's like it was for these Israelites. They went down into uh, the Red Sea. They came up the other side. All the slave owners tried to do the same. They couldn't get through. They couldn't get through. They died in that sea. These people were completely free. Praise God, we've been completely released. First of all, we know it simply because God says it's true. Just because God says it's true. That's the way we get freed. Truth sets us free. I know for myself as a a young Christian, I remember I was struggling. I remember once I was in the kind of 20s group at the church I was attending. It was lively Baptist church, big youth group. And uh, there was a time when I was really struggling with a, a kind of envy towards someone else in the group. Real jealousy. And I don't remember having that before, but I really got this thing. It's niggling with me. And I used to commute every day in the train from Brighton to London, which is an hour's journey. And each day I'd go uh, on this journey. And uh, I'm struggling with this. I think, Lord, I'm supposed to be a Christian. Why do I have this dreadful attitude? I'm so judgmental. The other day, the pastor's preaching, and, and he's preaching, and he actually quoted them. He said, as one of my young people said to me, and quoted from the pulpit. I thought, oh, God. I was really chewed up with this. I thought, what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to be a Christian. I shouldn't have these horrible attitudes. And actually, that morning, I was reading my Bible in the compartment in the train. And British people in trains are really peculiar people. 
Uh, you know, you used to have these small compartments, be eight or ten people in it. You commute every day, you do this journey, and no one speaks to anybody. And you get in, and you know, you put your case up on the top, you sit down, you open your newspaper. These days it would be telephone, of course, but in those days it was newspapers, open the newspapers, and no one talks to anybody just behind your paper. And I'm reading my Bible, and I'm struggling, Lord. Oh, God, how do I get free from this horrible attitude? I hate it. I want to be free from it. I'm full of jealousy. I'm supposed to be a Christian. And I saw this. I'm reading Romans 6. Honestly, I was reading Romans 6. It says, knowing this, our old self was crucified with him in order that sin might be done away with. He who has died is freed from sin. And I suddenly saw it. I thought, hey, Dead people don't feel jealous. <laughs> I'm dead. God says so. And it, it was so real to me. Honestly, it was so real to me. I laughed out loud in the compartment. I went, oh, ha, ha. And, and all the newspapers came down. Look at this strange guy. You know, I didn't know there were too many jokes in the Bible, but I'm laughing. And honestly, I was free from that day. I was free. We became such good friends. And it just went. Because the Bible told me the truth. I'm in Jesus. I died to the power of sin. It broke its power. It was over. I suddenly saw it. I'm free. He that has died is free. That's what the Bible, that's how do we get free from sin? Well, rules can't do it for us. Let go, let God's not in the Bible. God says it's because of Jesus. And that when he died, we were in him. And he died to sin once and for all. And we were in him. Hallelujah. He set me free. He set us free, beloved. That's the gospel. That is what the gospel tells me. I've been released from the power of sin that gripped me, that messed me up, gave me all kinds of stuff that I couldn't let go of. He did it. Hallelujah. His death sets us free. So that's the first thing we need to see. Knowing. You need to know it because God says it's true. We know it because he says it's true. Knowing. Knowing this. Then the next thing we need to see is in verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. All right, first, it's true because we know it's true. God says it's true. Secondly, we have to consider it so. And the Greek word is account. It's the word, it's actually, many of Paul's words are borrowed from the world of uh, uh, the legal concept, you know, justification, legal word. It's borrowed from the law courts, if you like, justification. Well, here, this word's borrowed from the world of accountancy. It, means, it actually means put it in the right column. Account it true. Consider it. It is true. Next stage, consider it true. Reckon it to be true. All right, that's the next step. It's a second step. You and I have to learn to do it. Because Satan, we talked about him last night, that he's the accuser of the brothers and sisters who will tell you a different story. You are a, a dead loss. You're in the grip of these things. There's no hope for you. He will bombard you with lies. And we need to say, no, no, I'm going to be set through, free through truth. The truth God says is, I've died to the power of sin. It's true, because God says it. Secondly, I have to consider it so. I have to reckon it to be true. So I have to take every thought captive. You see, that, that's an aggressive word. Yeah. You don't let every thought govern your thinking. All sorts of thoughts come into your mind. Take every thought captive and reckon it to be so. Now, you might say, oh, Terry, is this mind over matter then? 
just you have to if just think it. It's like I'm a sinner. I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a sinner. I'm not. I just think it harder. If I never think it harder, no, it's not saying that at all. It's, it's true. Therefore, account it true. Yeah. Uh, this came home to me once. The very first time I ever travelled overseas, out of England, and uh, I flew. Uh, into Spain. The plane went to Spain, and when we arrived at Barcelona airport, the, the, the pilot says, welcome to Barcelona, where the time is three o'clock. I look at my watch, it's, no, it's two o'clock. He says, welcome to Barcelona, where it's three o'clock. Supposed to be a pilot, supposed to know what he's talking about. It's, it's two o'clock, perfectly good watch, still says two o'clock. And so, you know, what do you do? Go past the pilot as you're thank you for, thank you. Yeah, of course it's three, it's two o'clock, really. No, no. <laughs> listen, listen. In Barcelona, it is three o'clock. It's on a different time zone. You're in Barcelona, it's three o'clock. Change your watch, line up with reality. I am in Christ, I'm free from sin, change my thinking, line up with reality. Amen? It's not, it's not that we make it true, it is true. When you get to Barcelona, it's in a different time zone. You better line up with reality. We are now in Christ. You're in a different location. Paul writes to the Colossians, those who are in Christ and in Colossae. We're in Jesus. We've got to think different. And so we account it true. You put it in the right column. We don't want an accountant who puts the figure in the wrong column. It says account it. Reckon it. Get your thinking lined up actually. So consider yourself dead to sin. Because God says it's true. Know it's true. Because he's, he knows the truth. You can't take it to a higher court. You see, Satan will try and take... There's no higher court. God says... I've died to sin. There's no higher court you can go to. There's no greater truth. That is the truth. Now, secondly, consider it to be true. Then the third thing is in verse 13, right? So it's not let go and let God. It's no truth and respond to it. So the third thing is in verse 13. So do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Right? Now, this is our personal responsibility. Present the members of your body, he's saying. Do not present the members of your body to sin, but be, present yourself as those, to God as those alive from the dead. Verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Sin is looking for somewhere to reign. It's looking for an instrument to play. He says, don't present your members as instruments. When we begin to worship, the, the musicians take to their instruments. They want to find a way of expressing music. Sin is looking for an instrument. It doesn't live in a vacuum. It lives through instruments. And Paul is saying in verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, why does he say mortal? Why doesn't he just say your body? Why is the word mortal there? Well, our bodies are mortal. In other words, they're not immortal. They're not yet saved. It says in Romans 8, we're waiting adoption. We're waiting the redemption of our body. All right, so I'm saved. 
And one day, I'm going to get a new body as well. It's good news, eh? <laughs> when you get past 21, it's really good news. You're going to get a new body one day. It's, where I'm standing from is excellent news. I'm going to get a new body. Redemption of my body is future. I've got a new heart. I've got a new spirit. My life has come alive in him. Formerly, my members were instruments for sin. For you and me, God says you're free from the power of sin, but we have a mortal body, a body that's yet to be redeemed. The redemption of our body is future, the Bible says. Romans 8, quite plainly, the redemption of our body is future. When we get new bodies, hallelujah. Magnificent, I can't wait for a new body. Meanwhile, I've got this new person living in a body that used to use its hands to sin, its eyes to sin, its speech to sin. And Paul is saying, don't let sin reign. How do we live the holy life? Acknowledge sin's power is broken. Reckon it to be so and take responsibility for your mortal body. Take responsibility. Don't go places. Don't get into situations. Don't give yourself to evil. Make, take, give no opportunity to the flesh, the Bible says. Make good choices. Make good choices. In the, in the book of Proverbs, it says the wise man doesn't go down the street of a prostitute. You might say, well, that's the quickest way. I want to get from A to B. That happens to be the road. I know the prostitutes live down there, but that's the quickest road. It says the wise man doesn't go that way. See, so there's certain choices we make. You make choices, that, well, I'm not, I'm not going to go that way. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I really love my girlfriend and you know, when we're on our own sometimes and it's dark and we get a bit affectionate, well, you know, we get, don't go there. See, make decisions. Say, well, I won't get into that situation. Well, sometimes I can't help. No, 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 you can help yourself. Make wise choices. Don't make opportunity. So this whole teaching is not let go and let God. That is foolishness. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, know this, consider this, take appropriate action, and you will live a holy life. That's what God is saying. It's all under grace. It's all free. And God is saying, live out this life. Take responsibility for your members, because your members got used to sinning when you were a sinner. Your hands got used to doing stuff they shouldn't have done. Stop doing it. Don't do it anymore. Don't do it anymore. I heard P.J. Smythe, you may know that dear brother, he was in a meeting with young people. He said, all the young men stand. All the young men stood. He said, right, young men, put your hands on your chest. They put their hands on their chest. He said, now say after me. This is the only chest my hands are going on until I get married. <laughs> Take responsibility. Take responsibility. Simple, simple biblical sanctification. Understand who you are and don't mess around. It's simple, beloved. It's not complicated. It's not rules. Rules can't save you. It's acknowledge I'm a new creation. God's made me a new person. Don't give your members to what you used to do. Present your members to God as those alive from the dead. God changes us from the inside. Gradually our appetites are changed. God works in us. We are sanctified step by step as we learn to obey God. Amen? That's important for us to understand. It's a radical thing God has done in us. It's to do with our new identity. 
It's knowing who we are. The tragedy is this, that many Christians will say, well, we're just sinners, really. Many, many Christians say, well, because we're essentially sinners. That's not what the Bible teaches. Paul does not write to the sinners at Corinth, to the sinners at Colossae, to the sinners at Ephesus. He doesn't write like that. He says, to the saints. You have a new identity. You're a new person. That's what it says. It says in, uh, earlier, later on in the chapter, it says you used to be slaves of sin. Verse 17, I didn't read that far. Thanks be to God, though you were slaves of sin. You used to be. That's what you used to be. That was your identity. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you received. And then being freed from sin, listen, you became slaves of righteousness. Yeah. Now, that's not an exhortation. That's not, hey, come on, try harder. It's an announcement. This happened to you. You used to be a slave of sin. Okay, I've got a very helpful wire here. You used to be a slave of sin. So sin says, come on, slave. Okay. You're a slave of sin. Sin just takes you where it was. And, you know, one day sin says, come on, slave. Where are we going? Down to the market. Okay. So you're in the market. Sin says, hold there, wait there for a bit. Sin walks off, you're standing there. Then righteousness walks through the market. Says, hmm, I think I'll buy you. Oh, no, I'm a slave of sin. Yeah, I'll pay for you. What? You will? Yeah, I'll pay for you. Okay. Oh, so I'm not a slave of sin anymore then. No, you're my slave, slave of righteousness. Come on. Hallelujah. I'm a slave. You're a slave of righteousness. That's what the Bible calls you. You feel at home with righteousness. That's where you belong. That's the culture you feel safe in. That's how you feel at home. That's why, dear friends, when we do sometimes sin, you think, oh God, I should never have done that. When I was a sinner, I never thought that. I used to sin and go to work the next day and boast about it. You should have been with us at the party. Whoa! <laughs> I was proud of it. I was proud of it. We got so drunk. We were wonderful. Now, if I do something, you know, sometimes it's, you can even raise your voice. Think, oh, I shouldn't have. You think, what's wrong with you? Your voice? You raised your voice? Yeah, I don't like doing that. What's wrong with you? I think I'm a slave of righteousness. <laughs> See, you go, to, you go back to work. You go back to work on Monday. People say, what did you do on Saturday afternoon? Well, I was in, you were in what? You were in church Saturday afternoon. What's the deal with you? Oh, I think I'm a slave of righteousness. <laughs> I love the stuff. See, you love the stuff. You love when they see there's no one like you. You're a beautiful name, wonderful name, the name of Jesus. What's wrong with you? I think I'm a slave of righteousness. <laughs> I've had an identification change. If I haven't had my identity change, I'm in trouble. You see, the Bible says, be holy because he's holy. So if he hasn't changed me, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Imagine that's a pig. All right? How's your imagination today? Okay? So that's a pig. Can you see it? See it? It's a pig. Oink, oink, pig. All right? Pig, you're a pig. Okay, no trouble. Pig, your identity is pig. Okay, I'm a pig. Now listen, pig. That's your identity. Here's your calling in life. Listen, pig, your calling in life, fly. See, I've just made him a very miserable pig. Because his identity, pig, 
and he's calling fly are so far removed, he's going to be a miserable pig the rest of his life. God says, be holy. You're going to be a miserable guy the rest of your life. That's why legalists are miserable. Because all they've got is rules, and you can't fly by rules. You need a new heart. You need a new spirit within you. You need something to happen to you that changes your identity. God does it through the cross, through the resurrection, includes you in it crucifies your old life, raises you to newness of life, says, come fly with me. That's the call of God on our lives. See, we've been born again. That phrase somehow has been eradicated of its meaning. We say born again like it's one word. We've been born again. It's like a caterpillar. I mean, it's a boring thing. Eats a few leaves, wanders down a path. And then this caterpillar gets born again. Same creature, but look at it. It's a butterfly. It flies. It's got color. It goes thousands of miles. I did a bit of research on butterflies recently. They go thousands of miles. It's the same thing. It's been born again. Hallelujah. We've been born again, beloved. See, don't, don't reduce it. Oh, yeah, I was born again. What do you mean you're born again? Jesus said to Nicodemus, when he said, we know you're a man from God, he said, unless you get born again, you won't even see the kingdom. How do I get back into my mother's womb? No, born of the Spirit. You're going to get born again. A new person. Some friends of ours, they had a couple of toddlers, their third baby they had at home. They didn't go to the hospital. And the toddlers went to bed one night, and in the night... The baby's born. Next morning, the toddlers come down. Who's he? He wasn't here last night. (laughs) I wasn't there last night. Born again, it wasn't there. You're a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, behold, new creation. God has done an incredible thing. Amen? Shall we carry on saying, no, 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 no. That's not your identity. First of all, God says, all forgiven, I declare you righteous, you're a new creation. Then he says, right now, know that, reckon on that, take responsibility, you will be a new person. You'll work out. Oh, we don't, you need to put some law back on them. No, it doesn't do anything. The law produces death. We need life. We don't need the letter, it kills. We need the spirit that gives life. And so God has done a breathtaking thing for us. You may say, well, you don't know my problem, Terry. I've got this problem. And, uh, you know, I just find I can live. I've been in a meeting. But when this temptation comes along, it just takes me out every time. I don't know. It just seems to have power over me. There's this temptation I can't win against. Do you know what the Bible says? It says there isn't one like that. Well, no, no, there isn't one like that. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And when it says common to man, there's two different interpretations on that by the commentators. One is it's man-sized. You know, it's not king-sized, it's man-sized. It's common to man. Or it could mean it's not, well, I'm the only person who has this problem. You just don't understand me. I've got this problem. No, it's common to man. It's common to man. There is no temptation but such as is common to man. God will not allow you to be tempted 
beyond what you're able to endure. God won't allow it. God said that. I met a prophet guy once, amazing prophet, one of the most amazing prophets I've ever met. And he said, God gave him a word to go and see a family. And he went to, went to this family. And the guy is there and he said, uh, just came up in conversation, well, I know I've been uh, disloyal to my wife. And she knows about it. She's very understanding. I've committed adultery a few times. And it's just, I just, this part of just who I am. It's what it is. It's with me. And the guy said to him, yeah, actually, I know that. So that, in fact, that's why I've come to see you. So God spoke to me in the prophetic. God spoke to me. He said this. This is what he said to him. He said, I know about that. And he said, if you do it once more, you'll die. I said, the guy got wonderfully freed straight away. Hallelujah. I'm free. I'm free. Oh, I'm free. See, we're very good at making things up. I can't help, no, can't help myself. Come on. There is no temptation. There isn't one. Oh, but pornography. No, there isn't one. There isn't one. That's what the Bible says. There is no temptation. But as such as common to man, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond with what you can endure. And with it, will make a way of escape. God's called us to freedom. God's called us to freedom. We can walk free. Amen? We're slaves of righteousness. Live in the true identity of the miracle God has done. Romans 6 is the most releasing chapter in the whole Bible. It sets us free. Truth comes to release us. Let me just close with this quote from John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote this little poem. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives you neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings. It bids you fly and gives you wings. <laughs> Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for your truth. Thank you it's not for some of us. Thank you it's not for an elite group. Thank you it's not something ahead that we must strive after. Thank you it's plain truth. For those of us who are in Christ, Lord, grant truth to set us free that we might enjoy Enjoy the reality of what you've done for us. Bless your word to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.